0: I want, we sang that song twice last week, and then we sang it this week, and hopefully the words that we just finished on, no other power to save, but Jesus Christ. Hopefully those words sit in your brain, not just today or while uh, the sermon is being preached or while taking communion, but hopefully those words sit in your head while you walk out those doors. Uh, there's a pastor in our denomination who works in Gig Harbor named Mark Toon, and sometimes he calls the doors out of the sanctuary the doors of amnesia, because we hear a good thing, we 're like, "Yes, we're feeling it, and then we walk out those doors and we forget it all. just. And we just go and live our lives like nothing happened. And so hopefully, no other power to say, but Jesus Christ our Lord, even if you forget everything I say in the next 20 or so minutes. Hopefully you remember that, and hopefully it gives you energy to go through those doors and not forget the good news you've heard this morning. And this morning we're going to be continuing our series about vitality and about church um, health, but also who we are. Eric's been quoting a pastor down in California who would say, um, our great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission make a great church. It was something like that, I don't remember it perfectly. I wrote it down. <laughs> but if we're really about the past couple of weeks where Eric's been preaching, about going, about being commissioned to make disciples, about really loving God and loving our neighbor, if we're excited about those things, then what I'm going to talk about today is kind of the how we do those things. At least it's a part of that. In my personal opinion, it's a really important part of that, and I hopefully will entice you with Scripture that it is a very important part. So I'm going to read first out of the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 8, uh, and then pray, and then we'll get into the verse. This is from Acts, chapter 1, verses 8. It says, "But, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Dear and Holy Father, I pray that I become less. That if I looked in a mirror while I'm preaching, You wouldn't see me, but rather Your light, Lord. That Your Word would penetrate our hearts and our minds. That You'd be within my mouth and my speaking, my heart, and understand my head. Lord, just help me preach Your Word by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And let it go from this place. Not because of anything we do, but because of what You are already doing. Um, in Kent and across the world. In your precious and most holy name, amen. So we started with a lot of pastors' favorite words, which is but. Um, And so it's probably important to get some context. So I'm going to read verses 4 through 9, and that'll help us better understand the passage here. Because it's important not to just pull verses out to defend our opinion or, or to, to spur us onward. The Bible is one continuous book. There's a strand from Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation intertwining with our very lives here at New Hope today. And so, in starting in verse 4, uh, this is after Jesus had died and rose again from the dead and he was appearing to his disciples. In verse 4 it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, You heard from me, but John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So then they, being the disciples, had come together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. And here's our verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking, at, at looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of sight. And then it continues on from there. If you've read the book of Acts, and if you haven't, I highly encourage it, Um, this verse is the theme, the thesis statement for the entire book. Not only that, it also outlines the book. It starts with Jerusalem, where they are, and the disciples throughout the rest of the chapters spread further and further away from their home. But the disciples don't get it right away. They've been with Jesus for over three years, and they still, even at this point, seeing him raised from the dead, still don't fully get it yet. And how do we know they don't get it? Well, because of what they think they're supposed to do. This, in verse 6, they say, okay, is Israel going to become the kingdom it's supposed to be now? Are we going to be this great nation? And Jesus says, no, oh, wow. <laughs> that's not the point. The disciples are looking still for a political move by Jesus to take on the Romans that killed his cousin John the Baptist, that persecute them now, that killed Jesus. They're looking for Jesus to save them from the Romans still. When Jesus is looking far deeper to save us from ourselves and our sin, to redeem not Israel, but the whole world as far as the eye can see and farther than that. That the gospel is for the whole world. It's not for a nation to take hold of and to use as a power to gain power. Because the power isn't about us. The power isn't us. And so this morning, if it's on the back of your bulletin, but I have three questions I want to talk about at this turn. And that's by what power, whose witness, and where to go? So by what power power are we to go and do the things Jesus has told us to do? How are we supposed to follow the Great Commission and to love God well, as the Great Command has us to, and to love our neighbor well? Well, if we say it's by my doing, well, we're going to fail. It's going to feel like an overwhelming task. Tim Keller puts where this power comes from, I think, beautifully, and so that's um, who I want to... I thought I had it written out. I don't, but that's okay uh, because it's a simple way. Tim Keller says it great, but I think uh, there's a simple way to say it, which is the power that we're supposed to go out by is Jesus. Jesus is the power. It's not like a steroid shot that we get and we get to go by our own strength or by our own um, ability, but rather it's we get to go and be a part of what God is already doing in the community of Kent, or what He's already doing here, or what He's already doing in our own hearts and lives. <laughs> we ask by what power Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit who's about to come in Acts 2. That's why I encourage you to read Acts. It's a great book. It's, it should be an encouraging, exciting book for where New Hope is headed and where hopefully each of us are headed, no matter if we're staying in Kent or if we're going to the ends of the earth. That the Holy Spirit is our comforter in our, um, the fire that will go out into the world and allow us to witness to things. And what does it mean to be a witness? Well, a witness is someone who um, testifies about what they've seen and heard. And when you become, well, when you start believing in who Jesus is, when you take that first step into understanding about who God is calling you to be and about who you are in the light of the world and the sin, and you fall to your knees and you understand how much you needed a Savior... That's not the ending point. Hopefully you know that. For a long time, I didn't know that. I was like, well, the power that the Holy Spirit gave me was the one that saved me, and now I get to go out by myself to try to make more people get that one little over-the-line experience like I had. But the Holy Spirit, the power that comes in through it, is one that is constantly shaping and changing us to be more and more like Christ like a tree that gets pruned so it can bear more fruit, we are called to constantly pursue, as Christians, to be more and more like Christ. Because it's hard to witness about something you haven't experienced or seen or heard. As a church, we are trying to figure out our vision for what's next. And I don't have that answer at the exact moment. I have the big overarching one, right? That's easy, to go and make disciples who make disciples. To go and love our neighbor and love God well. We can feel ill-equipped to do that. And I think part of that, at least for me, it comes from feeling like it's all on me. That if I flub and say the wrong thing, or if I um, maybe don't act in the way I'm supposed to, it may affect my witness about me. But I have to remember that I'm not witnessing about me. I'm not trying to point people to be more like Reuben. I'm not trying to get more people to paint their nails and have tattoos and long hair because then we'd all just be look like a bunch of rubens and we don't want that. We want we want a diverse group of people that love Jesus, that look like Jesus, that want other people to meet Jesus. And so the power doesn't come from how great I am or how great we are, how great new hope is. The power comes from Christ and what his holy spirit is already doing in Kent. We get to be a part of that. So by what power? The power is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's still working in you, and hopefully we'll, uh, you'll be able to see it as you go out into the world. Ephesians uh, talks about this idea of being um, a witness and what it means to live as one's sent out by the power of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you to read the entire chapter of Ephesians 4, but I'm just going to read the first three verses. Ephesians 4 says this, Therefore I, a prisoner from, for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God, so always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. That this power of the Holy Spirit is not one that makes us like um, a superhero. The Holy Spirit, one of its great powers is it's humbling. You now when you look at somebody, you know, don't say, wow, I'm so much better than they are. But rather you see someone and say, wow, they are so loved by a Savior. And I hope and pray and will do everything in my power to show them that Jesus loves them. And we're not going out to to drag people to church, but rather to show them what God is already doing in their lives and in their communities. So who's witness? We know the power, that's the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And so who's witnessing? Who is this witness we're pointing to? I want to start off by telling you two quick stories of not good witnesses. (laughs) I want to start with the negative witnesses. Uh, one's, uh, both are from my life. One is specifically about me, and we'll start with that one, because that's always fun. Uh, I lived in Mississippi, hopefully most of you know that, for six or seven years when I was in seminary. Um, in the church I attended, I wore suit and tie every Sunday and Wednesday. I know you probably can't imagine it. This is about as dressed up as I like to get. Uh, but I wore a suit and tie every Wednesday. Um, and for a time, I lived in a recording studio, uh, behind a recording studio. And two doors down was a friend of mine, who was kind of a shaker and mover in Jackson. He did a lot with the hip hop community. He, me and him were on a couple of boards together with the music industry. And so we knew each other very well. We'd go out to dinner, um, we were good friends. And one day I drove, driving back from church and I got out of my car in my suit and tie and Brad sees me uh, sitting on his porch and he looks over and he goes, Ruben, how are you doing, man? Um, you just come from a funeral, like what's going on? And I go, no, uh, I just got back from church. He goes, well, I've never seen you dress like that. I was like, well, I do for church. And he says a line that still haunts me to this day. And if he ever watches this on YouTube, uh, he'll know the line. It says, oh, come as you are. I get it. And that struck me. Now, I want to be sure that what you're hearing, he wasn't speaking negatively about a suit and tie. It's okay to wear suit and ties to church and to work. That's not what I'm talking about. But rather, what he was seeing was someone who had to change who he was in order to go to church to meet Jesus. Because Brad knew me as a guy who, would, who never wore ties and, and who presented myself in a specific way. And he, at least in that moment, saw me as putting on a fake shell, a pretending, and that's what I had to do to go meet this Jesus. And so it was a blemish on the witness of the gospel because I was in some ways telling Brad that he would have to wear a suit and tie to go to church, even though me and him didn't wear a suit and tie six and a half other days of the week. The other story of witness is one from seminary. I was sitting in class the first day, took a class on um, great uh, preachers and um, expositors of the world from the the 1900s and late 1800s. We got a reading list, and the professor was talking about all the books, and we're excited, me and my buddy Anthony. um, And afterwards, we left, and we were sitting at lunch and chatting, and he goes, I was like, are you excited to read these guys? Seminary is really cool where we get to read these big books that I would never want to or have time to read anywhere else. And he looks at me and says, Ruben, it's really hard to read books from guys who wouldn't want me in that classroom with you would rather see me on a plantation than see me in a seminary. And it, it, it was something that I never even clocked, never even cognizant of. And so off, with that story, hopefully, we'll, hopefully that sits with you, hopefully that's weighty, hopefully that shocks you, hopefully that scares you. Hopefully that makes you reassess everything you believe and everything the way you present it to the world. Because when we present Jesus and we say, we're a Christian, then we go like one of these pastors who also was okay with slavery and Jim Crow laws. It discounted everything else he said. Because that wasn't Christ. Right? He took his terrible, hateful ideology and and spun it on to Jesus and used it and he created walls and castles. So much so that if you go in my office, you'll never see any of those gentlemen's books on my shelves. Because our witness has to be removed of anything that's hateful, of anything that stops people, that creates barriers, fake barriers like my suit and tie for people to meet Jesus like I said, again, please don't take that as don't wear suits and ties. You can wear them all you want. Um, I just won't be. <laughs> um, and so it's important to know that when we witness, we point to Jesus. That if I'm out and about, or if I'm here at church, that when people ask me, well, why do you go to church, or, or who um, does Reuben represent, I represent Jesus. I testify and witness, hopefully, about Christ. And when I fumble and when I mess up, I can be honest about the mistakes and my shortcomings because I'm not perfect. And like I said earlier, I don't want a bunch of people to be like Reuben. I don't want to drag them into to me. I want to drag them to, well not drag, I want to point them to Jesus. Far too often when I lived in the Bible Belt and sometimes even here in the Pacific Northwest, our savior mentality focuses not on Christ but ourselves. We point to people to act like a person we see as the perfect example of a Christian. You can pick whoever your hero is. You are like that person is who I'm trying to get my kids to be like, my grandkids to be like. They only looked like this or acted like this. When rather, the great witness we are called to point people to is Jesus. To what he's doing, what he has done. If you're not sure what that looks like, the Gospels are right here. In your hand, on your phone, If you want to understand how that gets fleshed out, well, read the books afterwards and the books before. It should affect us at every point of our lives. You're like, well, Reuben, what does does it mean to be a good witness? Well, it means to be a fruit-bearing tree. My students will tell you last fall, I said it about a thousand one times, and I'm going to keep saying it, that as Christians, we are called to bear fruit. And one of the great ways to do that is to love God well. To love our neighbor well. That is what is the crux of all those things. And bearing fruit, uh, Galatians tells us, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That if you're living a life as one sent out, as a witness, if you're testifying to who God is and who you serve, those things should incorporate and be a part of that. So let's together point to Jesus. Let's point to the one who actually saves, the one who is perfect, the one who won't fail and mess up like I did, like others have. I want to tell you another story of another witness. This guy was not perfect either, but he got it, and he understood it, who he's supposed to point to. And this one's from the Bible, so you can go read this one anytime you want. I'm just going to read the first half of the chapter of Isaiah 6. You've probably heard this story before. Um, hopefully, every time you read it, you can see it in a new enticing light. It's Isaiah 6, It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was seated on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were the mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, two they covered their feet, with two they flew, and they were calling out to each other, Holy, 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 is the Lord of, heaven, of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple of it, to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man, and I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew down with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. When I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger to his people? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I. Send me. And he said, Yes, go. And it continues on to talk about how Isaiah would go and preach but wouldn't be heard. How he wouldn't see his Savior come. He would die not knowing if the task was finished well or not. That when someone realizes they are a sinner, saved not by their own doing, but fully as a gift from the one who suffered the suffering we deserved, died the death we should have died, but then defeated death. Rose again from the dead. Don't get stuck on just the death i feel like sometimes we get focused on that but he defeated death he up got out of it and loved us then how could we ever be self-righteous or hateful how 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 could we be prone to saying i got it all figured out i'm the perfect example of a christian all the youth kids should be like Reuben Hamflink. Don't don't do that. Um, or how could I be hateful? Be like, look at those people. I would never want those people to sit in a pew next to me. And if they do, they better look and act better. Because we must divest ourselves of this idea that we saved ourselves. That our witness is anything else but Christ crucified. We fall into the same patterns as the people in the Bible where we think we can do it on our own, that we have the power, but we don't. The Holy Spirit is working in and through us and out in the community. That's very true. And we are forgiven of our sins. When we mess up, God is faithful to forgive. How glorious is that? How exciting is that? Hopefully that gets you jazzed because it means when you fail, when you flubbx, when you mess up, Jesus can, will pick you up and hold you close and say, it's going to be okay. God is in control here in the United States, in the world, in Kent, Washington, even if you don't feel like he is. The war is already won, New Hope. Isn't that exciting to you? Shouldn't that make us more excited to bring people in and experience Christ and meet Jesus? Not for any self-righteous reasons or because we want them to look like us, but because we want them to meet God. I have a very firm image of the previous pastor here saying that his job was to do this, was to open the door and point people to Jesus. But all too often we create barriers. And so if we're going out these doors this afternoon, not the doors of amnesia, hopefully they're not that, but sometimes they are, where are we supposed to be going to? Well, Acts tells us that too, isn't that great? It says Judea. Judea. Well, none of us live in Judea, but Judea for the disciples was what was home to them, what was safe. They knew those people. They looked like them. They acted like them. Their culture was the same. Jerusalem, a little expanded or switch that, reverse it. Jerusalem was people they knew. Judea was similar to them, similar culture, similar places. Samaria, that was similar, but they also had um, a lot of clashing. They disagreed on things. They butted heads a lot. Maybe you know people, or maybe you're close to people that you butt heads with sometimes. Those people get to meet Jesus too. Those people have a seat next to you in your pew as well. And the ends of the earth. For the disciples, they saw the ends of the earth as as, um, Asia and Africa. I mean, they were in northern Africa and in the Middle East, and north to who knows where. They didn't have the whole globe that we can hold and look at and see all the ends of the earth and where it is. It means everywhere. We're not trying to confine people to a specific way of Christianity. We're not trying to get everybody to have violins at the worship service, even though I would fight tooth and nail to say it is lovely and maybe the best way to do worship, because I love it here in New Hope. But we're trying to get people to meet Jesus To see how they can enter into a relationship with their God and their King. And we need to trust that the Holy Spirit is working in that. That's not by our power people are shaped, but rather that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus didn't tell his disciples when he comes back that the world should be in uniformity. Rather, he pushes for unity in Christ. That we are called to come together as one people. But you can't have unity without diversity. If he's calling us to go into the whole world, that means we aren't going to all look alike. We aren't all going to dress the same. We aren't all going to have the same expressions of worship or the same uh, things that we enjoy uh, for food or the same kind of music we all enjoy. Heaven is going to be eclectic beyond your wildest dreams. You know what's the really cool part of living in Kent, Washington? The nations are right here, right outside our doorstep. There are people from all across the world, all across the country, all across different Subcultures and generations, and they're right there. And guess what? The, the, the thing we're witnessing to is the exact same for all of them. We're just pointing them to Jesus. And so I'll wrap up with this that we as a church must push for this truth and power, the truth being Jesus Christ and the power which is the Holy Spirit in us and moving through the community, not ourselves. And if we allow this, if we really invest in this to infect our hearts and our lives and our hands and our feet and the way we serve and our church and our community and our world, it'll be changed forever. So hopefully that gets you excited. And hopefully you'll go out those doors, not of amnesia, but of doors that are sending you out, gassing you up to be witnesses of the power of the gospel that saved you from your sins. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly and most Holy Father, we thank You for Your Word that it encourages us, that it points us ultimately to You, not to ourselves. That it gives us strength when we are weak. That it gives us the power to save, not because of our own ability, but because You are already there, already working and active. Pray as a church, we're able to continue to serving our community well. We thank You for the deacons and elders and all the volunteers who are doing that. Thank you for the community events we have coming up. Allow us to be witnesses to you, Lord. To encourage people to sit in the pews who don't look like us, but who are hungry for the gospel and the hope that is sure. Amen.